0: Rishabh, welcome, and uh, it's always a pleasure to see you. Uh, I will ask you a very quick question. What does Peer Robotics do?
1: (laughs) Thanks a lot, Burak. Really appreciate it. So,
0: for Peer Robotics,
1: we are an industrial automation company, and we are making robots that can learn from humans in real time. Our whole philosophy has been that automation should be very simple, so that people on the shop floor, people who are using them, can program them and that's what we are trying to do.
0: Should you clarify and explain me uh, what is the difference between other robotics and your approach?
1: Correct. So most of the companies that exist right now in this space, they require some form of engineers or trained individuals to come and program these robots. And then tomorrow, if you change your operations, you change your production lines, you would have to reprogram them. So you'd have to rely on those engineers or trained individuals. We are changing that approach by allowing people on the shop floor to do that. So imagine um, a new team member joins your company. The first thing you do is you show them how the operations happen on the production line. Our Mm -hmm. robots run in a similar way where the user can grab the robot make it move around in their production line and they learn and can repeat that task next time onwards. So that's that's like the core focus, how we differentiate
0: from others. Can you show us uh, any demo demo with the product? Yeah, so I'm just gonna share my screen quickly.
1: Give me a second. Okay. Let me know once you can see this.
0: Perfect, I can see that. And please explain us uh, while the video is running.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So, for everyone who can't see the screen as well, so what's happening right now is a human is grabbing the robot from the top side. It's a mobile robot and it's making the robot move in an environment. And on the right hand side of the screen, you can see that as the human applies a force, the robot moves in that direction and learns in real time. So, robot is able to learn the path to follow, the environment to go into, and in the end, you can see that the robot can do that task autonomously on its own without human being in the loop anymore.
0: So, what does this approach uh, um, makes for the productivity in the shop floor and also for the production line? That's a very good point. So, if we look into the industries right now, they are
1: they're constantly making different SKUs. What that means is that they're constantly building different things. And as the electric cars are coming along, the old legacy building volumes are changing. So all in all, the production is very high mix these days. And what that means is that anytime a new material has to be made, the operation layout changes a little bit. right? And if the technology is not catching up to that Changing demands, the manufacturing would stay behind because, again, they would have to spend time into changing their tools or programming of these robots. So, what our technology allows is let's say, if there's an electronics company and an automotive company, they are changing from one part manufacturing to another, they don't have to call specialized engineers, they can just show the robot, and the robot is also up and running just like another human right so that's the key value add where they don't have to wait for the productivity downtime or reprogramming of these robots
0: why did you start this um, venture so uh, what was the problem uh, when you started uh, uh, your company
1: so i'll i'll take a step back and tell a little bit about my background which correlates to why i started this venture i come from a manufacturing family so my entire family are manufacturers of different things like my dad has a car radiator my brother runs an aluminum extrusion line and so on and so forth one thing i realized growing up is no matter what we say manufacturing is very difficult it's very difficult the operations that happen in those production lines are intensive it's not something that everyone can do right but on top of it when we talk about automation or industry 4.0 Yes, it is changing how manufacturing happens, but it's still very slow and the adoption is very limited to only large companies. So we started Peer Robotics from this mindset that how we can make automation accessible. So no matter the scale of the company, they can easily adopt these technologies and get value out of them. So all in all, what we were trying to build is simple and cost-effective solutions for manufacturers.
0: How did you understand that there was a demand for it? And when you go to the first customers, how was their reactions? And is it easy to sell <laughs> these kinds of product? So definitely the one of
1: the funniest conversation I still remember, I can't name the exact manufacturer, but it was like a very interesting conversation. We went into their production line and we asked them that they, they were running a older generation of robots, like the robots that were there. And these are like, biggest automotive companies I'm talking about. And I asked the person on the shop floor that, oh, you're running this robot. How do you feel? How do you like the robot? How? What's your experience working with this robot? And his reply was that it feels like I'm walking a dog every day <laughs> because they would have these uh, markers on the floor that they would have to use to run the robot. And anytime the robot would get stuck, they would have to pull out this controller, which is cable to the robot and manually walk it out. And this was just so tiring for the people there because they were not able to focus on their own task. They were just doing problem solving with these robots. So it was not that much value add. So I remember that was the first conversation we had with any customers in that area. But even going further back, we saw and we discussed with a lot of companies where they were investing a lot of their money that they would want to kind of get value out of. One of the most important time or things were their operations that are non-value-add, but are necessary. They are not adding any value directly to their parts that they're manufacturing, but are extremely necessary for the throughput of the production line. And material movement is one such operation. So that's how we picked up that particular task to begin with. Now, is it easy to talk to manufacturers? No. Like Manufacturers are always very discreet. I won't say that you can just go in and talk to them. There has to be a time and way to reach out to them because they are busy. They are busy manufacturing things. They are busy running their operation lines. So we have realized that there are always different lines, different units, different people working in the production line. And it took us a lot of hit and trial to find out who is the ideal profile, or I would say persona, that we talk to in these manufacturings.
0: What is the ideal profile, by the way? Which customers uh, are most interested in?
1: Yeah, so it's definitely automotive, electronics, machine tools. So these are the three segments that we have seen are the most ideal customer profile for us in these verticals and the scale we say not not just like the large enterprises but as we mentioned we go medium scale as well small scale manufacturers as well so we go across the spectrum in these industry even within these industry the people who are more receptive or i would say easier for us to talk to and understand their challenges are people with let's say continuous improvement title like they are focusing on continuously improving their production line people with titles like operation engineer because they are trying to optimize their operations or even people with manufacturing, like manufacturing engineer because they are focusing on how they can manufacture things better. So these are some of the profiles that we call the personas that we talk to and we are trying to understand their pain point.
0: I mean, the robotics is uh, um, not only a trendy uh, vertical, but it is growing for the last decade in my uh, probably, you know, uh, more than that, uh, I mean, robotics has been... Uh, and it has clusters nowadays. I mean, for example, medical robotics, <laughs> automoid, automotive, or other kinds of sectors has different kinds of solutions. So um, uh, what do you think about the trends and market forces that enable these kinds of uh, uh, solutions possible today and try exist today?
1: That's a very good observation, Rock, and especially because... I think robotics or automation in general is still very complicated task. Like it's not that easy to build general robot because that inherently would need general intelligence, right, Mm -hmm. so thinking from that point of view. But different verticals have different constraints in which these robots can operate. So medical has a very good set of constraints where they focus on not having autonomy but in elevating the controls for the doctors, right? So medical robotics had been always focused on rather than going autonomous way, how we can make sure that the surgeon who is doing the task can do their task way better, way more precise, way more accurate, way less intrusive, right? Same thing is happening with manufacturing where rather than saying that the robots will do everything, which is like, what is the, right now non-cognitive thing that the robots can take over which are dull dirty and no one wants to do it right so i do believe that these these forces within these verticals have always driven innovation that how we can do that the time is right because now we are seeing a lot of computational power or intelligence getting built up into these systems and as we get access to that intelligence it becomes easier for these systems to be more value-add right So I'll give an example, with the vision systems and all, a lot of things that we are able to do in our robots were not possible before. Like right now, the robots can make intelligent decision whether someone is walking towards it, someone is walking away from it, is the aisle gonna be blocked? Where these situations would have to be programmed long time back, which now can be embedded in the intelligence of the robot.
0: So how do you produce your products? I mean, where do you manufacture them? (laughs) And are there any IPs or patents that you are differentiating yourself uh, from other ones? No, that's
1: a good point. So we manufacture our robots completely in India at this moment. So we have our R&D and manufacturing team out of India uh, in Pune region. That's the area kind of we manufacture Pune and Gurgaon. And uh, The entire product, the mechanical system, electrical system, firmware on the robot, the front end, back end on the robot, everything is designed in house and developed in house. And we have four patents around this area. And the patents are mostly focused on human robot interaction. One patent is towards how robots understand the human feedback. The other patents are based on how that feedback can be used for learning aspects, whether it's path learning, map learning, different different kinds of forms of learning. So that's
0: where most of our patterns are focused on. Do you sell the robots or do you rent them software as a uh, service?
1: Yeah. So we are seeing that transition happening slowly. Right now we do most of our sales or most of our business is selling the robots, but we are seeing a slow uptick in the robot as a service model, just like SaaS. But Mm -hmm. that being said, it's very much focused on the manufacturer because there are different market forces that operate in manufacturing, like they, a lot of manufacturers have these capex budget that they can invest into these industries, so they would rather buy the robot than leasing them out, whereas some manufacturers might have their more operational budgets where they can lease these robots out. So depending on the customer, we provide them the solution or the way of buying the system that works best for their particular facility. We don't restrict them in any way, shape, or form. But that being said, most of our business had been selling the robots up front so far.
0: Um, is the robotic companies cluster in U.S. has a different kinds of parts of uh, the country? So is it San Francisco or Austin or where is the robotics cluster has been uh, gathered
1: we are we are constantly trying to break, break clusters. So <laughs> right now, I think the cluster would definitely be San Francisco and Boston area. And rightfully so, because they have these research universities that uh, pushed the innovation in these areas. That being said, we are seeing a lot of manufacturing automation companies coming up from Michigan, coming up from Ohio, different regions where actually the manufacturers are. So that's why Peer Robotics is, by the way, I didn't mention, but we are headquartered in New Haven, Connecticut. I'm based out of Connecticut. And we are here because a lot of manufacturing happens in these states. Aerospace is a big manufacturing segment in Connecticut. And we work along with these companies locally to figure out their problems and solve them, right? So I'm not gonna say that we are at a time scale where we can be anywhere in the world and ship the robot anywhere in the world. We can certainly do that. But this also requires us to be very close to the customers in the early stages as we build the product, so that we can constantly iterate and make the right thing. So I'll I'll see I'll say more Michigan companies are going to come up soon.
0: <laughs> Tell me about uh, about the team. Uh, who, who is uh, consisting of your team? Who are in the team? Yeah, it's a, uh, we we have
1: grown a lot. So now I think when we started it was myself, Tanya, Alok, like my co-founders. And we were around 2019, late 2019, we started working on this technology. Right now it's team of 20 people. Um, And uh, for three of us are based out of US. We are focusing on different kind of sales and support strategies around here. And uh, we have our head of operations, Manoj, who recently joined us almost a year back. He comes from Kuka Robotics before. talking about that robotics clusters and building them up like he used to head sales for KUKA Robotics India for quite some time and he joined us to head our operations entire operations in India then we have our fabulous hardware team Gaurav anand like several people in that area that are working kind of to build these systems from ground up and software teams and firmware teams like I can't I can't say thank you to every single one of our team members. I'm sorry I'm not naming every single one, but every single one is a rock star in the team. I think I work for them. Like that's what I want to really remind myself again and again,
0: that they are the rock stars. I have to work for them. How did you meet with your co-founders?
1: So I know them from IT Delhi, like my undergrad university. So I knew Tanya from IT Delhi. Alok and Tanya knew each other from work, and that's how we got connected. Um, we were always on robotics in different ways, shape, or form. More than, I would say, the co-founders alone, I think IIT Delhi, and especially one of the person I would name here is Professor S.K. Saha. He has been like a very big mentor of me, guided me towards different aspects of automation. I've worked with him ever since I joined my IIT Delhi time. And he has been like a pillar for us to connect with different people. Even our first team members like Gaurav and Sashwat, some of the first team members, I got connected to them via Professor Saha. So he's been one of the key framework for us.
0: Um, India has been a hot country for the startups and uh, lots of uh, successful uh, stories that we have read uh, uh, coming up uh, India and also Indian founders. So what is the mindset of of an entrepreneur uh, who came, who grew up in India? What is the difference? And we have also seen lots of successful uh, professionals and white-collar people uh, has been uh, managers or CEOs of uh, great companies.
1: Yeah, I don't think I can
0: quite tell you what other founders
1: might be seeing, but I can give you my perspective why I'm able to do that. And I believe that is the constant support from our families. Like I think in India, one thing that personally I felt is that no matter what I was doing, I was supported through and through from my family that allowed me to go out and take big risk. So even if, let's say, the early stages of this company might be a risky adventure, we are being ingrained in that mindset that, you know, it's okay, like family is there behind you. So we can just go on and focus on taking big risk early in our lives. And I bet that might also be the reason why a lot of other founders come from India, because they have that luxury right now and support from their family that they can go out and take risk. I don't think my dad had that freedom. Now I have that freedom. So I want to leverage that freedom.
0: (laughs) So are there any um, governmental supports or other uh, cooperation supports uh, for the startups in India? I know that you are living in u s and your market is in u s and but the uh, manufacturing facilities is in India, so you have a bond uh, so that's the reason I am asking about the Indian ecosystem questions no no no
1: absolutely and I think uh, one thing that I would say has been playing a pivotal role in Indian ecosystem and looking from outside as well, right? In some areas, I'm not part of that uh, ecosystem like aerospace or I would say um, satellite space that is booming up in India. Uh, mm. I think ISRO, the government organization, is doing phenomenal work to build these startups and give them the opportunities to, you know, shine. Mm. Investor ecosystem has been growing in India constantly where they are taking bets. Like our investor, one of our lead investors is from India, Kalari Capital. They've been able to take a bet on us and make sure that we can deliver, right? And along with that, there are individuals that are coming up in India. I would name Ravi. Ravi has been a phenomenal figure in my life uh, who took that early bet realizing that, okay, these kind of companies are going to become the next wave and how I can support that. So that was like some people, some investor and the firm in general that are coming together. Research universities are also doing a great role. I think there is still, like, I still, I would still want to see more work from research universities. To be honest, like, I want to see more collaboration from research universities. But that being said, like, IIT Delhi has been phenomenal to support us from kind of day one. So, professors mm. there, the institution there has always been very supportive.
0: Who are your early mentors that you mentioned about Ravi? So, who who influenced you? Uh, to start this this venture and uh, uh, go directly, uh, taking this uh, high risk? So I would say
1: there are three, four key figures in my life. And I mean, I'm still learning about them. So I'm lucky enough to have those people and then also growing those list uh, right now. I would name three, four of them, like my grandfather for sure, who was an entrepreneur kind of like from the first point of view, like he started everything on his own, built the family business and everything on his own without any support, without any investor backing him, right? So it was all done by his hard work. He was an inspiration for me. Professor Saha, who guided me towards robotics in general, that how robotics as a space would evolve, how we can do better things, build better things using these systems, Ravi, who guided me towards the ecosystem, like how the entrepreneur can operate, how the funding landscape operates. And then most importantly, we, our first check was actually from another uh, entrepreneur, which is Anuj. Anuj Bihani, he's an investor in us, and uh, he's part of Alstrat. Alstrat is, by the way, one of our system integrators in India now. And uh, they were the first one to put a check in us because he truly believed that, you know, companies can build these systems and Indian founders in India can build these systems. And yeah, I still go back to all these mentors of mine, reach out to them whenever I'm struggling, along with a list of founders that are phenomenal and that are always on my speed dial. Himanshu, I think you know him. So he's a phenomenal founder that I always reach out. Anurag is another one who is based out of Connecticut. Whenever I'm dealing with something, these are the people that I reach out to, to get advice, to understand from their experience.
0: How did you make the first pitch to uh, your mentor? And how was, uh, um, was it a presentation or how was the elevator pitch?
1: <laughs> I think so yeah, with Anurj, it was very weird. I think we reached out to him to buy some of the robots from him and he was just interested why we are trying to buy robot and it just went on to this conversation and he asked us what are you doing what are you trying to build and then I showed him right like that's what we are trying to do that's what we believe in and I think that was it like he just believed in what we were doing and he's like okay I want to be part of that so he invested in us but that being said I think the venture capital and all that we raised after that a lot of times what we had to do is work along with them to build relationship. And I think that is important. Like, if I'm not wrong, Kalari Capital was actually the first firm I ever talked to as a VC. And they ended up leading our seed round almost two years later. So it was not that they were not investing back then. We were not raising that amount before, but we were constantly talking to these investors, being part of their kind of understanding ecosystem, and learning from them that what are the challenges they also feel from companies like us to scale, right? Like we, we need to be mindful that we are at a stage where we have to invest in R&D a lot. So we talk to these companies to figure out that, okay, what are the milestones we have to focus on? What are the targets we have to focus on? What are the customer goals we have to focus on, right? And prioritize that. So it's it's a very ecosystem thing and i'm still learning this is my first company like this is the first time i'm building anything i have done a number of mistakes that i can't even count right now so but i think the good thing that i'm learning from this process is that the conversation helps a lot conversation from everyone with everyone helps a lot
0: what are the mistakes and uh, what should you give (laughs) yourself uh, three years earlier younger of yourself Uh, about these failures or mistakes to be not to be taken? I mean, so one pivotal
1: role that also happened in my life was meeting Lila. Lila is also an investor in ours and she used to lead Techstars. I think the amount of learning we got from Techstars in that short condensed period changed the way we look into startups or we look into operations. That was very important. And I think before that, as a naive entrepreneur, I missed that. Like that was an area which I was not aware that how much value these accelerators or early kind of mentors can provide. While I had robotics mentors, I never actually had mentors who would help me build the company from get go. So if I can go back and tell my younger self something that, hey, if you're planning on doing a startup, focus on these things is definitely people that constantly focus on people. The startup is built by people. No one else has more influence than the people that you are hiring that are part of your company. Focus on customers and focus on mentors. Like Mentors, choosing the right mentors early on, having a conversation with them, it's critical. And um, I think early on, I was a little bit more shy person in that sense. Might not go out and talk to them, but I think that has changed with time.
0: What is the best advice that you have got, by the way?
1: Oh, it's very difficult to pinpoint to one. Mm. I won't say I can point out to anyone best advice, but one thing definitely that comes to mind every time I think about it is don't delay actions. Like Mm. sometimes we know what actions we need to do or we need to take, but inherently we delay them hoping for best to happen or somehow magically things to align they almost never align. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. those actions and decisions have to be taken kind of when you feel that's the right time. And I think what I did early on delayed a lot of actions in life in taking calls like, hey, when should I move to US? When should we sell to the first customer? When should we start building on that product, right? And I think there has to be a proper timing. But if I look back, most of the time, I've been delaying some of those actions. And I think that was an advice that other founders gave me that no matter which stage you are at, If you don't take an action today, it's just going to get worse.
0: What is your superpower? And what kind of superpower should you like to add your current ones? Hmm. Um, I
1: would say resilience is my superpower. Like I am okay with trying difficult things. I am okay with failures in general. And my my advisor from Maryland, University of Maryland, College Park, where I did my master's, uh, Sarah Bergbrighter, she also, when I was starting this company, I still remember, I don't know if she would even remember that because she just said that in a walking flow, which was fail fast, right? So I don't know if it was an advice or not, but it was something that I feel is my superpower is I can take that failure and stand up again, or at least try my best to stand up again or do it the right way next time. So that's, that's something that I feel good about myself. Now what I want to build is twofold. A little bit of patience, like I do want to build a little bit of patience when it comes to how am I building the team? How am I kind of focusing on the results? And then a bit more confidence towards going out and talking to people. I think that's still not there where I would want it to be, which is like I want to be not shameless, but also be confident that, you know, I can go out, talk to people and present them what we are trying to do.
0: Startup life is uh, not as shiny as it uh, it is uh, shown. So uh, what are the difficulties and struggles that you face daily and how do you overcome them?
1: Yeah. I mean, there is a big gap. I think whenever a lot of my friends or other folks ask about this, that whether they want to build a startup or companies, I always advise against it because it's not easy. Like it's not what it would seem like from the outside. It is going to be way more difficult than what we imagine. And it always somehow finds a way to be even more challenging. So I think the most difficult thing is, like being alone to a certain level and do a decision making at that point so a lot of times you have to make calls which might not be popular democratically popular let's say or which might not be kind of like accepted by everyone but has to be done for the company right like that has to be prioritized for the company and a lot of times you are taking early bets and risks right so you are trying to give that figure out that if i make this call today how this is going to impact four years down the line or five years down the line and that is difficult that is challenging but again like uh, that ownership part is difficult but is also fulfilling so yeah i can't i won't complain too much about the startup life because it has taught me a lot but that being said some days it is difficult and i'm just thankful for my friends families and mentors you know who held those days being better (laughs)
0: So, uh, are there any um, um, moments uh, from the investor side uh, getting a rejection, for example? How do you overcome these kind of things? And uh, what does your daily life, uh, daily uh, startup life look like? <laughs> yeah. So
1: I'll start with uh, my daily startup life, and then I think I'll come back mm-hmm. to the investor. So I'm still very much involved in the product development cycles. So I almost for, I wake, I'm an early morning person. I always like waking up early. So I'm most of the time I'm up by 5am and uh, my calls start from 6am, 6.30am, depending on, you know, the day, but typically early calls are more focused on the product that how we are building the product. What are the different decisions we have to take in the product development cycle and then the later stages, it's more on the customer. And if I get some time by the end of the day, I'm catching up on my work, which is something that I have to do. But yeah, talking to customers and spending time on the product is 80, 90% of my time today. Like, either it's customers or product. Um, remaining of the time, we I do reach out to, that's something that I've started doing recently, which is reaching out to People who are experts or who know way more than me about a particular space just to pick their brains, just to bounce off ideas, because there is so much learning to be there. There are so many people who have done phenomenal things. And uh, I'm at a stage where I'm learning from them, trying to see how we can do things better. Now, coming to the investor side, I think the first few investor conversations that I ever did, uh, I was very delusional. I thought that the money comes when you go out and say, hey, I want to raise money. And they're like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I think, yeah, how many millions you want? Okay, like, why not? But I think later stage we realized, or as I went through it, I realized it's more about a partnership. We are trying to build that partnership. So it's not just me trying to go to anyone and asking for money. But now I'm at a stage where I'm also talking to investors to understand whether it's the right fit for us whether that particular person or that particular investor would be able to add value for us. But early on, I still remember having some of these conversations were very low period, like you would get rejection constantly. But that startup life, like I think 80% is 90% almost would be rejection.
0: Which books or, um, for example, podcast? let's say, uh, let's focus on books, changed uh, the way of your thinking and which kind mm-hmm. of podcast, movies uh, do you lately watch? Yeah. So a couple of these books come to my
1: mind. Uh, one is E-Myth. I don't know if you know about that, yeah, but true. it's a phenomenal startup book. Like I think I, one of my very close friends was thinking about starting a company as well. And I told him that read this book before you take any action. Um, so... E-Myth is phenomenal. Then I remember Extreme Ownership by Jaco Willink. In fact, we mm-hmm. just gifted this as a uh, to our entire team, that book, on um, The New Year. But that is also a very important book in my life that helped me understand some of the behavior of myself and how I can make it better. Then Crossing the Chasm, which is also another book that another founder recommended to me. And uh, yeah, these are the three main ones that come to my mind. But recently... I've been reading about Rockefeller uh, and there's a very interesting book from him or or not from him, but like, it's a 38 letters of John D Rockefeller that he wrote to his son and uh, yeah, learning a lot that how confidence played a major part in building that empire, like how he was confident towards his approach and all. So I think there are a lot of good learnings out there and books are definitely helpful on podcast. I'm a big Lex Friedman podcast fan, so I definitely listen to kind of a lot of Lex podcasts because he's a robotics engineer, plus at the same time, some of the conversations he's having are very interesting, not just not just limited to robotics. Then some of the other podcasts, like um, Jaco had a podcast as well, so I listen continuously to that. Recently, I came across Acquired. So acquired has a very good podcast series where they break down okay, these right. startups and yeah, very like very interesting how these different startups operate and how we see them right now. But twenty years back, what decisions they took that
0: brought them here, right? So yeah, acquired is also a great podcast, by the way. Lex Friedman, uh, also I I always uh, follow uh, all the episodes. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he has some of those kind of like uh, very, um, I would say honest discussions kind of feeling, which I really like.
0: Rishabh, do you believe in work-life balance? How do you uh, balance your (laughs) life and work? (laughs)
1: No, I don't think I believe in that concept, to be honest, because I also grew up in a family that is business family. So I know my dad spent a lot of time building the business but at the same time he was always there for us uh same thing with my mom like she was always there for us so work-life balance is by saying that i always see that and another great founder from india he told me this like the moment someone says work-life balance my mind puts work on one side life on one side and try to balance them out but that's not the reality like the idea is that this is life how we allocate them is up to us but it's not two different thing that we have to balance out you know some days it would be more work some days it would be more life but it's not something that in the end we have to make sure that it comes aligned so yeah i don't think i i do this because i enjoy so i enjoy doing this it's not that it's not part of my life i think my part of the life is building peer robotics and there are other friends and all and we constantly share learn from each other But I think that that part of life also brings into peer because they feed into what we are doing, right? So I think it's related.
0: (laughs) Rishabh, thank you very much for the nice conversation today. It is always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you.
1: No, appreciate it, Burak. Thank you for the time.